0: And uh, very encouraging to have our amazing sister, Linda Bird, here with us, Tom and Linda and all the kids, are pillars here in Santa Clarita. And we want to see you move back home. We appreciate your journey like the Rams from afar. Now it's time to move back home. So but uh, I appreciated what Andre had to say and uh, just. You know, the unity that the cross brings, and uh, you know, we did comment on the star on my team, the Dallas Cowboys, and you know, ever since God put his logo up in the sky when his son was born, we just thought that was a really good idea. So, you know, that's, that's all right. Uh, we're going to be talking today about praying in five dimensions. And uh, no, this is not a physics lesson. Uh, we're just going to talk about how God is everywhere. God is creative. God could have made the world all gray, tasteless, with no smell, no sounds, and boring. Boring. But that's not the God that we serve. You can see it in his creation. You can just see all kinds of amazing things that God in his creativity. Built a universe for us to enjoy. And as he communicates to us in different ways, there's different ways that we can communicate with him. And so as as we begin here, the first thing. I want you to do is turn over to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, David says this, starting in verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. David understood something that we need to grasp in our hearts, and that is we're never alone. Because God is everywhere. And we go, yeah, yeah, I get it. God's really big. But the question for us is, do we live with an ongoing presence that God is everywhere? If you're like me, you kind of feel like, okay, when I'm having a good day, God is there. When I'm having a bad day, I'm not sure if he's there. You know, sometimes we think. That we can go and sin and maybe God doesn't see what we do. Now, at our worst moment, God is right there with us. And when we are at our finest hour, God is right there with us. We don't hop in and out of his presence There are not bad places where God does not exist and good places where he is present. David said God is everywhere. And one of the most important things to change your prayer life is to realize wherever you go, whatever you're doing, that God is your companion. He's right there with you to talk all day, every day, not just in the morning when you have your quiet time. But all day, every day. You see, there's a profound difference between feeling alone and actually being alone. Yeah, you, know, you could be in a situation and you get afraid and then you look around and you see your friend, you see a parent, you see somebody, you go, oh, OK, for a while there, I thought I was left alone. No. We may feel alone, but we're never actually alone. And so with this in mind, we're going to journey into five different directions that we can pray and connect with God. First one is to look backward to the cross. And so you got a few retro helmets here. You know, you didn't see a lot of Patriots gear with that logo on there. You see ones with the new. But anyway, you know, backward to the cross. And Peter calls us to always take a look backward, not in a depressing way, but in a way where we connect with our need. And in first Peter, chapter one, it says this. Verse 18 and 19, for, you know, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, That you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You know, Peter picked silver and gold in society today and 2000 years ago. Silver and gold is valuable. He says, no, God didn't use that cheesy stuff. He said it was the precious blood of the lamb. You ever feel unimportant? Not valuable? I'm not good enough? God says, no, you absolutely are precious in my sight. So amazing, so incredible. that your redemption came not with silver or gold. But with the precious blood of the lamb, that's how much you mean to me. God wants each one of us to know. He said, what what happened at that moment, he says, you were redeemed from the empty way of life. You know, a lot of times we just think of redemption and we go, well, that's the point where our sins are forgiven. And certainly that happens. But Peter's saying, no, 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 it's bigger than that. He's saying you were living life in this empty, purposeless, hollow, frustrating, alone type of way. And then Jesus redeemed you to a whole new way of living. We can be totally different now. Because we're not locked into emptiness or frustration or pain or hopelessness. But we have a new door. We have a new pathway, a whole new world. Are you still in touch with the whole new world that you have opportunity to live in? You know, when you're first baptized, like Eli, our new brother... You you know, somebody preaches on like staying in touch with what God has done and you look around and you're like, how could you not be? What would anyone's problem be that isn't in touch? Because it's just fresh in your mind. But, you know, as as you live the Christian life and the weeks turns to months or years or sometimes decades. The newness. Of redemption can kind of fade away, and it just becomes, well, this is what you do at church. And we forget the emptiness of where we came from. You know, sometimes for humble, we realize we're not all that different than the Israelites. And they got into a frustrating place in their life and felt overwhelmed and afraid. You remember some of the things they were saying? Moses, why would you lead us out of Egypt? Egypt was awesome. All day long we sat around pots of meat. We had onions and leeks. That wouldn't have made my highlight list, by the way. Now the pots of meat I'd be fired up about. But you're like, wait, what are you guys talking about? You were slaves in Egypt. You're you're building bricks. That was your life. You're crying out to God because you were so miserable. And Moses came to rescue you from that way of life. And you get afraid, you get overwhelmed. And All of a sudden we forget about redemption. All of a sudden we forget about our Red Sea. And we're like, man, my life was awesome before I started trying to obey the Bible. Now, see, Peter says when we pray, we need to look backward to the cross. We need to always stay in touch with our need then and our need now for redemption from an empty way of life. And know that you are so valuable that gold and silver wouldn't pay the price. It took the precious blood of the lamb. Second, he looked upward. Upward to the father's face in Romans chapter eight. Turn over there. Romans eight, verse 15 through 17. says so the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again rather the spirit you received brought about by your adoption to sonship and by him we cry abba father the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children now if we are children then we are heirs heirs of god and co-heirs with christ If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And we've been talking about this in our practicals of praying. We've been talking about this in other lessons. Is that we pray with confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. We have confidence in his character. In his love. And his consistency. And yet the spirit that is in us cries out. And what it cries out is a very personal expression Abba, daddy, papa. It's personal. God doesn't want a business relationship with us. Not some kind of legal, you know, you know, here's your attorney to represent you. No, it's personal. He said, I want to be your daddy and the spirit in you. That's what it cries out. It's personal. It's intimate. It's closer, closer than any friend that you have. He said, it's passionate. He said, cry out. Not because God is far away. but because there's emotion and feeling behind it. You ever been passionless in a moment where you should be fired up? You know, it, it doesn't fit, does it? We're like, wait, what's going on? There's something wrong on the inside. We're not yelling at God because he's hard of hearing. We have passion in our hearts. Like everybody wants to be in a relationship where there's that passion and meaning and emotion. And not just kind of this casual like, hey, great. Yeah, nice to be with you. You know, better than doing nothing. Like you want to know that it matters. That there's a heart involved in it. The spirit cries out. He says, hey, with our spirit, you know what our means that we're included in it. There's a partnership. God's like, hey, I want to do this with you. Not, hey, I'm going to do it. Just sit there and Watch. No, it's partnership. Do you ever think about the fact that God could have saved the world any way he wanted? God could have raised Jesus from the dead and he could send a vision to every single one of us. He could have us sit down with multiple angels with highlighted scriptures and say, here's what you need. So please change this because I want to be with you for eternity. God could have done it that way. He's like, nah. I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to partner up with some redeemed, sinful, imperfect people made in my image. And I'm going to use these people. And together we're going to do my work. They're my apprentices. They're my partners. I want them to be my ambassadors, my messengers, my sons, my daughters. Jesus says, My brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a partnership. So when you look to the Father's face, you speak differently. Because you have a different picture in mind. So you pray with that vision of who God is. You know, one of the things that I have to work hard, I've got an active mind, even when I'm alone. I remember when I was training for the LA Marathon, I ran it a couple times, or I should say, I kind of sort of jogged it a couple times. I don't know if it was called running. Um, slightly faster than walking fast, but I remember my wife going like, "So, like, what do you do during those hours that you're running all those miles?" And I was like, "Nothing." She goes, "Yeah, but you have hours. You must like think about stuff." And I'm like, "No, it's just like a a billion little micro thoughts." Yeah, but what do you think about? I remember one day when she asked me that, you know, what is it that you thought about? I go, well, I was thinking about the next time I change the oil, do I want to use like regular oil or synthetic oil? like, Why are you thinking about that? I go, I don't know. You just asked me what I was thinking about. <laughs> I didn't say it had a reason. You asked what the thought was. And at that moment, that was it. So. When I try and pray in the Father's face, I can be distracted up here and in here. So I'm trying to say words and communicate kind of like having a conversation with the TV on and checking your email at the same time. Right. And you're like, wow, I'm just not really connecting with God. Yeah. Stop whatever else it is that you're doing. Sometimes I literally have to go. Okay, I just I got to stop thinking thoughts right now, and I just need to take a deep breath. Like every day, we're day 21 today. You're looking at that verse and you're reading it over and you're speaking it out loud and you're praying about it. You're not supposed to go, oh, cool. There's a thought for the day and on our thoughts go. No, we're supposed to actually pause and stay in that moment. Go, is there a message? God, I want to have a conversation with you about this. Okay, let's speak here for a moment. But sometimes it takes me so long to quiet my mind and my heart because stuff is just all over the place. we got to be able to do that. Why? So we can pray to the, upward to the Father's face, Right? Okay, number three. Way to go inward. I had to have Belichick in a hoodie. Belichick is amazing. Greatest coach of all times. You know, these these guys are like the brains of the team. McVeigh and Belichick. You know, it's like, here's what's going on on the inside. And then, you know, you see the team perform out there, but there's a game plan There's changes that are going on. You see, you have your outward happenings in your life and the things that you do. But then there's this whole world on the inside. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says this, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? He goes on to say, and I trust you will not have failed the test. You know, they, examine yourself. My father was a dentist for 52 years, and I worked for him for a summer. And it was really interesting to see people coming to the dentist. First of all, nobody was pumped to go to the dentist. But you had. Some people that hadn't been to the dentist forever, and it usually was an abscess, tooth, root canal, something severe that was forcing them to the dentist. Now, a dentist will tell you you need to get your teeth cleaned every six months, and you go, that's just a money grab for a dentist. It is not. Although it's profitable for a dentist, it's actually your best interest and in mine, because it takes six months For a teeny tiny cavity to develop. So if you go to the dentist every six months, the the worst thing that you'll deal with, with your teeth, it's not gum disease, that's a different sermon. (laughs) The worst your teeth will face is a teeny tiny cavity. But there are people that like, no, I don't want to go. Why? You know what it is deep down? I don't want to find out that anything's wrong. You know, it's kind of like not opening the credit card bill. As if somehow, if we avoid the subject, it's going to go away. It's not really there. If I don't go to the dentist, my teeth will fix themselves. We do that in our spiritual life. You hear, examine yourself. See, you, I knew it. I'm a failure. Yep, yeah, he's preaching my point. Okay, that is not Paul's point. But you ought to have a handle on how you're doing. You ought to, in a very healthy way, examine your spiritual life on a daily basis. You know, we do that when we have big events like Carousel Ranch or the banquet or things like that. We will get together as a staff, our ministry leadership team. Hey, what do we like? What do we want to remember to do again? What else do we want to improve? Why? Because we want to do our very best. Now, can you imagine our spiritual life? We're like, nope, don't even want to think about it. Paul says, you've got to examine your Self. One of the things you got to do if you're going to pray inwardly is be honest. I know this was talked about before, but but we love and worship a really big God. Nothing we tell him is going to overwhelm him. Nothing we tell him is ever going to be a shock. You ever told somebody shocking news and they're like, whoa, wish you would have told me that later. God's never that way. Bro, I know you got to preach in a minute, but there's something i got to tell you. Blah! And you're like, thanks, that'll help me focus. No, God is never that way. God is always like, thank you for letting me know. As a matter of fact, I already knew. I'm totally connected with you on that. That's awesome. Like David, David was so honest in his prayers. The Psalms are great educators for prayer. He went from, I'm so discouraged I want to die to kill my enemies. I'm bummed out and I don't know why. All over the place. But you're not going to examine yourself inwardly if you're afraid to be honest with God in prayer. Somehow believing that he's going to be offended if you tell him how he already knows you really feel. No, it's just going to help you connect. To God but you've got to examine yourself. You know one of the things I've been uh, challenged to do is this it's called a prayer of examine and it's been going on for almost 2,000 years. And all it is is ending every day with this, with this process. How did today go? How'd you feel about it? Where are the times you felt close to God? Where's the times you felt absent from God? Why? What was going on? When you felt absent from God, why? Why do you think that was? You felt close to God. What was it that was going on? Why you felt that connection? You know, you hear that? It takes a few minutes. It's amazing what you learn about yourself and the awareness you gain just by taking that few minutes every day. But what is it? It's examining yourself. How'd your day go? It's kind of like when Michael and Luke were little, the way home. Hey, anything good or bad happened at school today? That's all I wondered. Anything really bad or really good? If not, it was just a normal, boring day. But we ought to do that spiritually too, right? We got to examine ourselves. But a lot of times we're afraid to go there. But we miss out on a lot of opportunities in prayer to connect with God by being aware of what's going on. Okay, so that's the third direction inward. Fourth. See, the Rams, they got Aaron Donald and uh, the patriots they got Adrian Claiborne, who went to the University of Iowa had to throw him in there okay so number 4 is pray around and ask the holy spirit to use me in romans chapter 8 or 6 sorry fonts oh, too small romans 6 verse 13 it says do not offer any part of yourself to sin As an instrument of wickedness. But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Man, what a verse. You know, at Carousel Ranch, that was an awesome day. got to use a lot of tools. You know, tools are great. You go to the toolbox, the back of the pickup truck, you search through, get the wrench you want, the drill, the hammer, whatever the appropriate tool is for that job. Use that tool for what you need it for. That's what a tool is for. Now, Paul says, do not offer yourself as an instrument for wickedness. Like, why would he need to say that? As if any of us would ever make ourselves available for sinful actions. Yeah, you see where we're going, right? You see, in the victim world, it's not my fault. Somebody took me against my will and used me for sinful purposes. You know, the Bible just doesn't agree with that theology. It actually says, no, you sinned because you offered yourself to be used for wickedness. It was a choice. You were available. You know, wouldn't we do so much better if we were just never available for sinful things? You ever had one of those days? And you're like, why in the world did I have that day? I was not planning on doing those things that day. I should have spent my time doing other things. That's what Paul's saying. It's a choice. But what's the flip side? Well, you either offer yourself to be available for sin or you offer yourself to God to be used by him for his purposes. Now, of course, this is the logical choice, right? But wow, is this one tough in practice? I know on Tuesday night, Aaron was preaching and they were talking about practicals of prayer found in the Lord's Supper. And it was like, which one's the most challenging? And I knew instantly which was my one. And I shared about it uh, with the guys that I was in the group with. But it was the idea Of offering yourself to be used for his purposes. And what I connected with in that is I want to be used to do God's work. Hopefully that's, you know, comforting as a minister that I, you know. But there's a difference between saying I want to do God's work and I'm totally offering you my life so you Can pick the work that you want me to do. You see there's a difference between going on Monday at 8 a.m. I'm going to be available to do the Lord's work. From 8 to 8.15. And then I'll be prepped again. For Tuesday night midweek. And I'll do a little more Lord's work in my schedule. You see. We want to do God's work right. And so we can this 15 minute block and this 30 minute block. You know, if you've ever raised a small kid, you know the word mine. Where did they learn that from? Other people, not their parents. We don't, we never do that. You know, it's pretty interesting in our home these days. You all know we have a a really great dog, Bailey. Bailey does not say mine, but she lives it out. So Hunter, our grandson, comes over and Hunter loves to play catch with balls. So you roll it to him and he picks it up and then he just throws it back. And sometimes he swipes it across the floor. But all of a sudden, these balls that have just sat on our floor a lot. As soon as Bailey sees a ball go, that's mine. And Bailey, Bailey, she's got a plan. She's a smart dog. Hunter gets one of Bailey's balls. Hunter will go over and lick Hunter's face. Bailey will lick Hunter's face. And then when Hunter goes like that, she grabs the ball out of his hand. She does. You come to my house, if Hunter and Bailey are there in a ball, and you'll see this. It's very scripted. If he swats it across the floor, Bailey runs and grabs it. Why? That's my ball! You know, we do the same thing in our Christian life. We don't want to go, hey, God, here's my life. Take it, do whatever you want. My job, my schedule, my money, my time. My relationships, my hobbies, my kids, it's all yours. Have at it. Just use it and do something great. We're like, "Mm, I don't think so. Because what if he wants to use my life at a time where I have a different plan? Then what? See, and there's the difference between wanting to do God's work and offering yourself up as an instrument for righteousness. You see, I need to be in touch with my own heart or I try and run my own ship. God does a much better job. And so we got to look around. So the Spirit can do what the Spirit wants to do in our life. Fifth direction is forward. Forward to my future with God. And I love what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That Paul's like, man, we're we're confident. Confident of what? That Jesus is going to finish his work in you. You see, the Christian life is more like an artistic masterpiece than it is a math problem. See, a math problem, you get right or wrong. An art piece, you can always work on it. But sometimes we kind of look at our life like building a house. Can you imagine coming to a house that's half built? I'm going, go, well, there you are. That's you. That's your life. God's like, ran out of resources. Sorry. No roof. No furnishing. That's just lame old you. Your walls and a foundation. I really thought it was going to be great, but it's kind of lame. Some of us, that's what we think God is doing in us. I don't like where I'm at. I had this vision of being somewhere else. And I'm here and I'm not there. God's not done with you. That's just a journey. I remember one of the biggest challenges I had studying the Bible. Is when I really started learning the scriptures. I realized that what I thought was the correct understanding of scripture wasn't. And I had a choice to go, oh, wow, I totally failed for 21 years. I taught people wrong things. I'm a failure. Or you can say, it's just a stage on my journey. That's just part of the growing process. God is still shaping and molding. And that's exactly what he's doing. I told Mike, hey, sorry I had to convert you twice the first time I was wrong. But you needed double forgiveness for all that you did anyway. He's out of town. He knows it's true anyway. But when you pray, what's a vision you have with God? What does the next week, month, year decade look like with you and God is it spectacular is it amazing is it incredible or is it filled with fear and hesitation or discouragement you see if you realize that where you're at this is stage on In the process, it's art. God's still shaping, He's still molding, He's still creating in you, and He's not going to leave you half done or three fourths done. Says He will carry it on to completion. God is doing amazing things in you when you pray forward. Listen, what's what's forward? The future. That's your future with God. That's not only what he's doing in you. What he's doing with you. What he's doing around you. What he's building in you. Jesus called Simon Peter a rock long before he was a rock. Jesus got nicknames. Nicknames. For all of us. And they're all good ones. They're visionary ones. Because he sees the work that he's doing. And he knows it's going to go on to completion. God is everywhere. Never alone. And we need to set our minds in five different directions when we pray. Backward to the cross and stay connected. With our need for redemption and where we came from. Upward to the Father's face. We're connecting with God with confidence. Why? Because who he is. It's personal. It's passionate. It's a partnership. Inward to Jesus and me. we got to examine ourselves. What was good? What was bad? Where did we feel close to God? Where did we feel distant? And Why? we got to pray, looking around, giving ourselves to God solely for his purposes and forward to our future with God. We do this with God. You'll be great, but not just great. You see, because even Tom Brady agrees, praying five dimensions and he's got his five fingers up. To let you know, don't leave out any of the five to the true goat. God Almighty. Let's pray in five dimensions. Let's connect with the father and let's continue on our great journey. The 40 days of prayer. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.